Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Shift with CJ podcast. On this podcast we've talked about quantum energy, biohacking, health, nutrition, lots of stuff. But today I want to address one of the most important things that you have to look at before you address any of those which is your own self which is your own emotions which is your own feelings and believe it or not a lot of us think that we understand ourselves and we know ourselves and we understand our feelings most often than not we are either afraid scared or haven't explored ourselves very deeply and it's not our fault because that doesn't that kind of subject isn't there in high school university or somewhere else this is why on this podcast and in all the episodes of the ship for cj podcast my aim is to bring to you an expert who has spent enough time in educating themselves and helping others in certain subjects so today i have a special guest on the show my guest on the show today is think of him as a researcher of consciousness of organs he is an expert when it comes to emotional releases and he provides tools training tips workshops and a specific way for yourself to get rid of any emotional pain that is stopping you but i would love you to please pay particular attention to whatever he says all this conversation rewind it listen to it if you want to david mannings welcome to the show thank you so much for inviting me cj so yeah just to add a little bit i um i really study the emotional subjective side of the organs now we have a lot of different ways of um looking at the body and trying to improve the body which is the field that you're working in a lot but i really look at the emotional side the subjective side how do you feel right and this is what we study at the new emotionalist institute we train people to specifically target the emotional root cause of diseases and so understand that your body has a type of consciousness that might sound a little confusing but your body just responds to emotions you're sitting here you're listening to this podcast Right now you're having an emotional experience. Every single second that you're alive, you're having an emotional experience. This is what being a human being is, having emotional experiences and many people don't think about emotions that much, but if you think about why you do things, it's always to get to a better positive emotional outcome. If you think about why you want that promotion, you're working because of how more how much more financial freedom makes you feel if you think about uh having that dream partner is because of how that connection to that dream partner makes you feel drinking a glass of wine is a way of regulating your emotional state watching a movie is creating an emotional state every single human action it may seem rational but it's actually subjectively focused on an emotional outcome and so if we know that if you understand that we're going to the gym to feel better which is an emotion then we understand that we do all these things why not target specifically the emotional dimension which we rarely talk about uh these days so that's what i want to jump in with you today 
Amazing. Thank you for joining me on this show today. And guys, you know, David and me, we met a year ago and he was in one of our biohacking meetups and I was like, I need to interview this guy. But you know how things, I'm sure David has been super busy with his business over here internationally because I guess you guys train so many people all around the world, yeah, correct? Exactly. But finally, we got this opportunity, brother. So I'm really grateful. So let's take a back step. You talk about your whole idea is to address emotions because they're the primary thing that we use to, or they're the final, they're one of the primary things that we are chasing. So you mentioned about going to the gym or, you know, getting a partner or getting that job. We're chasing a feeling which will come through an emotion. So let's just address emotions why do you think emotions, or let me phrase it this way, what impact do you think emotions have in diseases? Because I know from a very traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic principles, uh, certain emotions can be stored in certain organs, certain tissues, certain systems. And if you go to a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, of course, they're going to use the herbologies and the tonics, but they will address a certain organ with a certain emotion. Does this method come from the same lineage or thought process? Or is it, you know, something that is taken from traditional medicine and then married with science? Yeah, so a lot of people like to credit my work to previous works, and understandably so, because my dad... Uh, practiced Chinese medicine for 50 years. So he has wow. a lot of experience in that. And certainly that did influence me. But I was more working as a musculoskeletal therapist uh, in the hospital. So I wasn't like totally sold on any ideas yet about the body. But what I realized is that if I ask my clients, you know, who have so much tension in their body, that they're holding physical tension, you know, in the neck, in the shoulders, and if I ask them now to focus as I'm pressing onto the, 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 the spots, the trigger points that we all know of, if I work with those trigger points and I start to ask my client, what do you feel when I press here? And they can breathe into it and they can actually answer the question. I tried that. That wasn't part of anything that I learned. I just tried that. And what happened was this one time I did it that the moment I asked, the person didn't answer. But all that happened is that they all of a sudden started bawling their eyes out, crying. But that wasn't the shocking part. The shocking part for me was that the tension where I placed my finger on was instantly gone as soon as they started crying. And not just gone, it was like as if I've given them six, seven treatments. So you get results that I would have taken maybe weeks in an instant. So I was like, mm -hmm. wait a minute, if a release can cause this kind of shift in a musculoskeletal tissue, you know, fascia and muscles, then diseases must also impact other tissues in the body, which are organs. And now we know today through the extensive research um, that all of our organs are not only surrounded by fascia, mm -hmm. but they are interpenetrated by fascia. Fascia is a neuroceptive tissue. We thought... Fascia is just a simply a postural kind of tissue. That's what doctors would cut that away and kind of be like, yeah, we don't really need that. You can just remove that for the surgery. We actually need to go to the organ. No, but now we know 
fascia is a neuroceptive tissue and this <laughs> this is incredible because what it means is that fascia responds it feels it's sensitive it's a highly sensitive tissue it responds to heat it has heat sensors thermal sensors it, it has no nociceptors which is pain it can predict length and it reacts instantly to stress responses so to adrenaline noradrenaline cortisol it responds to the body it's highly responsive so understanding that now it makes sense how something like emotions can impact disease not only impact but the best models we have if you look at the model um it's usually that we understand that every disease is not either or impacted by one but always impacted by mechanical factors chemical factors and emotional factors it's not that the root cause is in one of these but the, it's always a combination all three have to somehow fail or compromise in order for a disease or a symptom to occur now that being said the emotional side has been completely ignored we have fantastic ways functional medicine ways and even biohacking is is our ways that we can really mess with the chemical and the mechanical levels to really enhance the body but the emotional aspect is a beast of a component it is super impactful and what i mean with impactful is that it's the most i think it impacts the body the most because if you look at you know a stressful situation that you might have um when you're nervous all of a sudden your stomach turns around or you clench your jaw or you do these different things your body instantly reacts to stress but stress is like a blanket term stress means in actuality what stress means and stress is well researched we know that stress causes disease stress mm -hmm. kills people just talking about stress you have all the scientific data to prove it but stress is a blanket term what stress really means and i want to debunk this really get this if you want to understand emotions really understand this stress is another term uh is a blanket term that includes many things but what it also includes is the understanding of stress means that emotions are being repressed you're mm -hmm. going into a situation that the body has struggled to compensate for and this is always because of repressed emotions so when you go into a stressful situation you say you're stressed the other person is stressed someone is stressed all that really means is that you're coming up in situations that challenge you emotionally mm -hmm. that make you repress emotions that's all that means not talking about positive stress here or like how to stress the body in a positive way which is you know part of biohacking and part of optimizing the body but really talking about when people talk about i'm stressed this is an emotional feeling state which has to do with holding back certain emotions and holding back emotions it the stress is the stress response it's it's the body is contracting the fascia of the body is contracting adrenaline noradrenaline is excreted into the bloodstream cytokines cortisol all have chemical impacts on the body then you have uh, an increased uh, tension which i said again the fascia surround and interpenetrate every organ the the fascia has these so-called myofibroblasts which mm. are uh, contractile tissue cells which react to adrenaline and you can actually see under a microscope that if you put a drop of 
adrenaline on the fascia, a drop of cortisol on the fascia, the fascia will actually instantly contract by this chemical marker. So imagine what happens in your organs, in your liver, in your digestive system when adrenaline is released. These, all these organs have are interpenetrated. They're made of fascia. So what happens with these organs when you feel stress, when you repress an emotion, when you feel fear? They contract as well, and uh, they inhibit now their healthy function because in that contraction, just to go a little bit deeper, um, you have the uh, fascia matrix. So each cell of the organ is bedded into a fascia matrix, meaning the fascia surrounds the the cells of the organ in kind of like a like a like a whirlpool a kind of jacuzzi type deal it's it's mm-hmm. cushioned in this in this airbag of, of fascia and when that fascia contracts this airbag also tightens meaning that this the cell is restricted from healthy access from their innovation which is the nerve access right uh, from the lymphatic flow which is kind of the waste disposal system of the body and is restricted in the uh, venous blood flow, which means that the blood that is supposed to go out and away from the organ now gets stuck around the organ. That blood uh, f- uh, festers there, stays there, uh, so you don't have proper blood flow, you don't have proper waste disposal, and the functionality mechanically, the, the, the cell is compromised through the pressure, and on top of that, it's got, le- it's got less signaling and it's less sensitive because of the contraction around the nerve cells. So all of that compounds to what? Compounds and creates the perfect uh, foundation for chronic disease. And this is how, in the body, quite easily you can explain how emotions cause disease. That's scientifically proven nowadays. It's not difficult to to explain it, Uh, especially when you look at um, these cytokines, which are always... Uh, part of the sympathetic stress response, which are excreted into the bloodstream. Cytokines are these proteins which are uh, inflammatory markers which increase in the body through stress. So you you repress an emotion, there's the cytokines, there's your inflammation. And so when you get pain in the body, there's always often a chronic pain. There's a lot of inflammation going on. So there's a huge, huge, huge... um, trigger there and you always have an emotional state you have to think about it. emotions don't just occur sometimes throughout the day you always have an emotional state if you have an emo- a stressful emotional event in your life that lingers on that if you don't process it so you keep that same reaction stored in the body for years for decades for generations actually mm-hmm. and now think about all these chemicals that are floating around think about all these reactions or stress reactions that are happening in the body for decades and then you know Where is the chronic disease coming from? A big part is our emotional state. Amazing. Thank you for explaining that so beautifully. I think it gives um, myself and everyone who's listening a better understanding on the mechanics of it. But when we speak about emotional repressment, so for example, let's take two situations here. I'm just trying to make it very clear for the audience. You have a stress response, which you mentioned too, which happens throughout the day let's call it stress with a small s. This is your boss shouting at you or you missing a deadline or you working towards something and you know your girlfriend or your husband coming to you and asking you for things and you're like, hey, leave me alone. I'm a little bit stressed. I need to do a few things. That's the time. Certain, I would say, maybe there's not a huge amount of cortisol dump, but there's enough 
happening at that time. What does a person do at that time so their emotions are not repressed? Is it just, for example, if I'm having the situation, do I express it out that, hey guys, whoever is in my environment, I'm really stressed because of this situation and this situation is because of X or Y factors? And does that mean that I have, by expressing it, not repressed my emotion? Or does it mean that, you know, me just counteracting that stress in that moment, these emotions are keep on building up because, and we'll talk about the stress with the biggest, which is, which means like, you know, you had a divorce or you found your better half cheating on you. That's, that's a bit extreme, but let's talk about average everyday stress. So you, you find a situation, you're stressed, you're nervous, whatever. What is that one tip to kind of not repress it in the moment? Yeah, so you talked already about expression, right? Yeah. The opposite of repression is expression. Okay. Okay. And that means that you're able to, instead of uh, store that kind of uh, stress within yourself and try to hold it in the body, you know, by contracting the fascia and all of that, which your body remembers, right? Um, the somatosensory cortex in our brain actually remembers that holding pattern it's a, called a holding pattern in the body okay and it stays there until you feel safe enough to come out of that pattern that can look very different um very deep stress you know another word for severe deep stress is trauma mm -hmm. we call that trauma and uh, when that happens you certainly struggle to resolve that by yourself you usually need help Usually you need another person to do that. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people, they want to just like do these exercises, ABC, and then like, yeah, this is how I move through trauma and now I'm healed. Mm -hmm. That's not how it works. You usually need to think a little bit more long-term. You need to think help from someone else, especially because many people do not accept help from other people. So that part of the trauma response is to avoid help from other people, mm -hmm. is to be hyper-independent. So this is why we train people all over the world practitioners to help you come out of that response right mm -hmm. but you talk about day-to-day -day stress this is something what i think is a bit of a myth our day-to-day -day stress looks very different the what is stressful if we really take a microscope and look at what stress is if we look at how people are being stressed it's very different um it's basically uh, you could see kind of like a currency there's events in your day-to-day -day life that give you energy. Mm -hmm. I, I think people who work with people know that sometimes you work with a person that drains your energy. Mm -hmm. sometimes the vampires. <laughs> the vampires. Sometimes you're with people that give you energy yeah. and all of a sudden you forget about time. You know that moment where you at work, you forget about time. You don't look at the clock anymore. And sometimes you look at the clock. And so the moment you stop looking at the time, your body is in an energy surplus. Mm -hmm. Your body is well co-regulated because your body is able to access resources within the body resources can be that you're tapping into your inner joy while you're doing this you're tapping into connection you're tapping into things that that fuel you um but sometimes of course and more often we find ourselves looking at the clock for mm -hmm. people who are in the nine to five um kind of business we look at the clock and we wait for the time when it, when is it over when when do we when do we get off work and for those people, they are essentially missing. Um, um, for those people, 
I'm can't ba- think about the word. I'm, <laughs> I'm basically channeling and my brain just goes off this way. And mm-hmm. I have to take it down. Yeah. And what was it? Was it nine to five? Yeah. And so for people working nine to five and you look at, you constantly look at the clock, you're already in a, in, in a state of stress. Your, 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 your bank account is empty. You could say your, your, your energy bank account is empty mm-hmm. and you didn't have enough things that fuel you. Things that fuel you could be, um, you're regulated, you've done your ice bath, you've done your meditation, you've done, all this increases your bank account. Mm-hmm. All of this um, makes you more resilient, right? You, you ate the right foods, you get enough sleep. These are the things that I think you know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these, they increase your bank account, right? But when we talk about trauma work, and this is what I really focus about, I don't only look at the things that increase the bank account, but I look at the things that drain your bank account. Mm -hmm. What are the things that stress you out every day? These are the things that drain your bank account and they're different for different people. There's different things that bring you joy. There's different things that stress different people, right? We're we're not equal how we deal with situations. So stress is kind of a blanket term. It doesn't really say anything. If we take a microscope, let's go go a little bit deeper, okay? Mm -hmm. So... What is the, the root of our stressors? So what I found, uh, for example, in osteopathy, which I've also been trained in uh, somatic developmental psychology, which looks at the stages of development of uh, human beings. Um, when we look at these different things, we, under, we get a bigger picture of what stress actually is. There's this thing that's uh, in osteopathy that we say our primary dysfunction. So an osteopath usually looks for where is the primary dysfunction in the body. That is a concept that explains that where that there's a, there's a part in the body where the body is specifically struggling to compensate and recover from. Mm-hmm. The body is having a hard time to come back to homeostasis, coming back to a healthy neutral. And so this part of the body is, is very different. For different people. For some people, it can be connected to the kidneys. For some people, it could be connected to the liver and the digestive systems. For some people, it's connected to the lung. Whatever it is, everyone has a different uh, way that their body is has resources and the body is struggling to come back and heal. And understanding that, there's a hierarchy of what's dysfunctional. So, for example, um, your lower back pain might come from your bladder that is weak and that can, might come through from the kidneys as well. And so your symptoms are all centering around a primary dysfunction. This is just a physical level. But if we take that concept and apply it to the emotional level, there is the same thing happening and they actually link up completely to the psycho psychological dimension, which is what I focus on to integrate those two, which is the core wound. Mm-hmm. Basically, every human has an area or part of the body that struggles to compensate the most. It's, it's, you know, the body is vastly intelligent, can heal all your wounds, can digest all your food. Why all of a sudden are you struggling to digest gluten? Why can't you uh, digest lactose? Why are you struggling with basic things? The human body is billions of years old, is super evolved. Mm-hmm. Why can't it do some basic tasks? This is because of the primary dysfunction, which is the same thing of, of our core wound. So essentially, we've been wounded in, in a part of our life. And as a part of a defense response to that emotional hurt that we experience, which is usually happening uh, in utero, so even before you were born, 
you, you come on, you, you are receiving the impulses of your mother. Your mother is feeling shame. Your mother is feeling fear. Your mother is feeling whatever. The, the infant, the, the fetus is feeling that. It's a sponge. It's soaking up the neurotransmitters. It's soaking up the hormones. It's soaking all of that up into its tissue. And it's also creating defense responses. So very interesting. You have this defense response now coming up in a fetus before you're born. You're not even on earth yet and you're having trauma. Fascinating. And so what's happening, you're floating in this liquid. You're, you're, you're completely nourished, right? You're, you're, you're in a place. The, the liquid is perfectly temperated. The food is being done. You don't need to go to the bathroom. There's no gravity because you're mm -hmm. floating. So all these like earth factors are not there yet. It's, 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 it's not, there's not a lot of duality but you're receiving that stress. You're receiving the emotional states mm -hmm. of your mother, which is also the positive emotional states, safety and all that. So now you're already, because you're coming from the symbiosis, you're literally made from your mother. You're receiving her fear, her apprehension, her shame, all of that. And the baby starts defending against that. So what does, it ha what does that mean? As soon as a defense pattern forms, which is the same thing as a holding pattern is a stress response, a trauma. It's the same thing. As soon as that forms, the first pattern that forms is different because the first pattern that forms becomes your foundation for all future stress responses. This means the trauma that you are experiencing in early life, this protective response is adopted by any other stress response you have in the future mm -hmm. so what am i what am i saying is that let's say you receive shame and rejection from your mother the baby feels shame and rejection you grow up in a child uh, as a child you go into to kindergarten you feel rejected by other children you go up to school you feel bullied by in high school you go to a, a job and you feel you don't you never fit in with your coworkers, and um, this pattern continues throughout your life. And you might think, no, the cause was that it's my coworkers, and then you dig deeper. No, the cause is in my childhood. No, no, you dig deeper. The cause was in utero, as I received the first defense pattern that was later than always adopted, until it is healed, until it is held space for and has the space to be processed, witnessed and released so this is why what stresses you can be way 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 older it's it's a rabbit hole there's actually mm -hmm. no cause because if you even look in utero your mother was feeling that and you're also getting the transgenerational imprints from her from her life from her father's life mother great-grandmother all of that is also playing out right there But just to, to keep it simple, mm -hmm. just to understand and wrap it up, you take away the primary defense patterns um, and those primary defense patterns are kept in life and they form your core wound and they affect specific organs. And these organs are what create your symptoms. So you look at what are the organs that are affected and you understand the psychological, psychodynamic situations that cause that wounding. You heal the wounding the organ gets better, the symptoms get better. What's your take on past lives? So past life is an interesting subject. I cannot prove or disprove anything. Mm -hmm. I, what I What's can your say, opinion? It's, what I can say is what I can empirically verify. And mm -hmm. that the thing is, I can, what I can verify is that a lot of times in sessions in this emotional release work, you have 
the experience of people going through imprints, emotional imprints, which are not able to be traced back into this life, but into another life they have never lived. Memories they have never experienced in this life. And they process things and they go through this process and they heal uh, by going through that process. So I can say that it creates good outcomes. Can I prove that these memories are actually from a past life rather than an archetypal representation of their trauma mm -hmm. that found the best way to express itself through memories or archetypal, archetypal images? Um, I cannot say. So I can say... Does past life exist? Yes or no? All I know is the experience of going through past life is a real experience and can create positive health outcomes. Thank you for sharing that. You also mentioned transgenerational trauma, uh, but I, there's something else what I wanted to ask you. So when we follow the same line of thought, if people are suppressing their em emotions mm -hmm. and they're not um, expressing it, sometimes there are some disorders that start happening. So some people can get multiple personality disorders. Can multiple personality disorders, in your opinion, happen because of suppressing your emotion and then that emotion finds a way to express itself beyond your conscious understanding? Because there are so many case studies where multiple personality disorders, there are one, two, three. I think the max was 32 different personalities living in one person with all having access to different languages and, you know, different personality archetypes of themselves. Any thoughts on that? So severe mental illness is usually often also caused by trauma, but there is some kind of oftentimes a hereditary component to that, which simply, when, whenever you think a disease has a hereditary component, rethink that thought. What that means is hereditary equals transgenerational. Okay? okay, that's all that means. If you say Hashimoto, hereditary, the trauma is in the family, in your grandmother, grandfather, all of that back. Um, so does um, trauma cause severe mental illnesses? Yes. Usually the more severe it is, uh, can be traced back many generations back actually because there are defense patterns adopted mm -hmm. and stored in our DNA, also in our, epi, in our epigenetics, and transmitted to us, and our body adopts those because they're available to us. Um, multiple personality disorders, right? Very interesting condition. Um, but most people don't know that we all have multiple personalities. Mm -hmm. We all have multiple what we call parts. These are the different ways we respond to different situations. Every person is not one singular personality. Every person is a multitude, is a platform of multiple parts. And these parts almost function as separate individuals. So we, what we can say is that the more integrated a person is, the better these personalities integrate into each other. So for example, if you ever met a person uh, or dated someone who all of a sudden switched on you, who was one moment like super nice and the next moment mm -hmm. was like fucking nasty to you, those people have a lack of integration between these two parts, between the happy, uh, kind part and the angry, aggressive part. And that is a split in the psyche right there. And that split you can actually see from a neurological perspective. You can see that because it's, it's exactly what trauma is doing. 
What's happening is that two networks of the brain stop communicating with each other properly. So where you before would have a synchronistic firing pattern of these brain networks communicating in unison, they all of a sudden, when, when trauma happens, they start to fire asynchronistically. And that means that there's a disruption in the communication between two net brain networks. And that represents exactly how our personality plays out. There's a, there's a disjointment between our personality or two parts that are happening. So there might be our, and this, for example, when the person is very angry and snaps on you, that means they have um, suppressed the brain networks that are corresponding with anger. And they have not done the work to integrate that anger. So, of course, the body says, okay, what's the best survival path to take here? We suppress that anger because there's no healthy space to feel and process that anger. So, I would say, yes, the more severe the trauma, the more severe the symptom of having this feeling of multiple personality disorder because we already all have that in a sense. But the disorder itself is just the extreme case. What we sometimes call when the person is very blended, they're not aware that they have these parts and they just switch between these emotions and they're very intense. Um, so that would explain uh, that condition. Got it. A lot of the times I see, especially in this generation and like generation before, there is this whole um, culture built around toughness and how tough you have to be. And especially as men, you know, you're... I remember growing up and if I would complain about something or cry about something, there would be peers, um, people who were elder to me, they would be like, come on, you're a man, don't cry, don't uh, complain, which is naturally some, I think you have more experience in this uh, area than me, but I think naturally as children, we're more expressive, we're more joyful, we're more, we want to share what we think, what we see, but there is a time, especially when our subconscious stages of our mind is building up, where we're often shut down, where your parents say, you know, you might see something or might hear something. And the first reply you would get is, oh, that isn't anything. Because at that moment, it's either that the parents or the guardians or anyone around you is ignorant or they're busy or they're just, you know, they don't care. But all of these things, they eventually kind of take us to those repressive sides where I know that me expressing something might result in dad being angry. Me expressing something might uh, result in mom being upset. And we then tend to take on these personalities or these way or these choices that we make into our life. And that gets deeply into our system. So when you, let's say in a perfect world scenario, I'll give you, three subgroups a children b people in their teens to like their 20s and the next 40s and above so children what would be your best tip for them when they face any kind of like situations where they might be repressing something what's the best thing to do for them i know this very individual but like best yeah. practice scenarios first of all we have to understand that everybody knows how to release everybody knows how to express do we forget it how do i know it what happens when you were born you cry Crying. you scream you kick this is the first thing your body knows how to do okay this is not something new that you need to learn this is something that the body has to remember 
Then you're conditioned around the age of three into what is called the role ego. The baby doesn't anymore solely focus on its own needs, on its own, what do I need, cry when I need uh, food and, and attention and all of that. But the baby starts to mend itself around the needs of other people, of the parents, which is called the role ego. The role ego is the part of the development of the child where a new type of identity is birthed within the child, a new type of uh, ego is born within the child and the ego is the identity is centered around what do other people expect of me how do i best fit the role that is expected of me mm -hmm. so this is the core foundation the core imprint of being a good boy being a good son getting good grades being a good student then the being a good student becomes being a uh, good uh, uh, co-worker being a good boss being a good husband all these roles that start to happen. And so this is what most people suffer with, and this is the biggest obstacle throughout all these age groups that you mentioned, that they suffer from this social identity which they have created themselves but have paid the price of sacrificing their authentic self for. Mm. So basically the most people, especially in, I would say, Eastern countries or countries who are still very focused on the family unit have a strong sense of role ego and a suppressed sense of authentic self so they suppress chronically since the since they've been raised mm -hmm. their own impulses their own authenticity to fit into the group and so when we work with emotions which all groups should do um we have to first create a state of safety in their environment for children um, that's their parents, they need to give that permission that it's okay to express the emotions that they feel, that their sadness is invited, their anger is invited. And they just need to remember that what they already know inside of themselves, which is how to release and how to express emotions, right? And we say, in a, as adults, we say, uh, don't be a baby, you know, don't cry, mm -hmm. you know, you, you say these things. And to some degree, it's good that we're not like a baby and have just you know, Crank every time everywhere. someone <laughs> says something that upsets you or you're hungry, you start laying on the floor and crying, you know, it's like, that's not a good thing. So it's good yeah. that we are adults, right? But there's a lack of balance. We have mm. forgotten now to be a baby in a healthy way. We have forgotten how to be uh, this infant that is able to express its emotions and needs around its own needs. So this is something that all these groups have to kind of reclaim is create. And, and this, this, What's really important is that is the surrounding plays a big role with that. This is why I'm saying you need another person to help you do this because the if the permission was never there, if there's always the signal from the outside that you cannot express your emotions uh, or your father expresses shame as soon as you get a little bit of upset, your body remembers that and your body is now programmed to repress those aspects which are around shame. So you feel shame every time you connect to anger. You feel shame every time you feel sad because your dad said, no, son, don't cry, you know? Mm. And so your body, the shame is essentially telling your body, no, this is not allowed, this is not okay, this is not welcome. And so what you need is a, in an environment, in all cases, an environment that says you are welcome with all of that. You are welcome with all of your expressions. Just to give an analogy, think of, think of it like this. Think of yourself like a garden. 
right? You have many different flowers. You have all kinds of flowers. You have lilies, you have roses, you have lotuses, you have the most beautiful, all the different colors, right? But what your parents hold shame for, mm -hmm. what the parents are ashamed of in themselves, they cannot love in others, yeah? This is very important. And so what that means is that whenever you express anger, whenever you express sadness, whenever there is that, they cannot give love to that if they haven't accepted that within themselves. That means your parents, they only water, imagine your parents only watering the roses, only watering the lilies. You have two types of flowers. What happens to all the other flowers? What happens to all the other parts of you? Mm. They wilt. And so your garden is full of these flowers that are never loved, never witnessed, never uh, welcomed. And so it's our job to create, which the, the goal of trauma healing, by the way, is creating a flexible nervous system, is to create a version of yourself that can host all these different flowers, that can express all these different emotions, that can be move flexible from a state of sadness to anger to joy. And that's the goal of of creating that that internal safety through emotional release uh, in your body. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the word resilience. Is this what resilience means? To be flexible enough to look at a situation or experience, get into a situation and not let it affect you so much? Or There's two factors to resilience, right? So we often talk about the masculine aspect of resilience, which is you are able to bear the load. Mm -hmm. You're able to resist So this is the part of making yourself stronger, which means increasing your bank account, making yourself more powerful, more more energy in the muscles, more strength in the muscles, right? To be able to, you know, resist pain, push on, be more disciplined. This is one part of resilience. Mm -hmm. But the other part of resilience, which is very much overlooked, is not a type of pushing. It's not a type of doing. It's actually completely the opposite. It's a being. It's a being with the emotions that you didn't allow. You know, it's you become so much more resilient and so much more homeostatic and so much more healthy when you're able to be with what you couldn't be with before. If you're able to feel the emotions that you couldn't feel before. Mm -hmm. So it's a being state. The solution to the future of humanity is not only in action states, it's in being states. And being states are emotions. It's what we experience in our body. If we say we don't want to experience that, our body shuts that emotion down, that experience down. And this is when we try to sit still in meditation and we get all of a sudden we get anxious or we get nervous or we get distracted or we get distracted anyway throughout our day. This is when we can't be with ourselves and be with emotional states in ourselves. That's when we get triggered and don't know how to regulate ourselves back to calm because we cannot be with that emotion. So we need to learn not how to do better and be stay human doings. We need to learn how to become human beings and learn how to be with the spectrum of emotional states that life is. Because all life is, is a journey of emotional states. If you understand this, this should be the number one reason why you would want to master your emotions. Mm -hmm. What are your tips on mastering emotions? If you had to give someone two or three tips. I think the number, like if we look at the most effective things that we can do to start mastering emotions right now, 
because the mastery, of course, always implied usually takes years, you mm -hmm. know. But to do the most potent things is to understand that there's no exception that every emotion in your nervous system is welcome. Mm -hmm. There is no exception. Some people say, yeah, but what about hate? What if I hate someone? Do I then kill them? I mean, you <laughs> can't possibly want to invite and welcome hate into mm -hmm. your life. Or if you're horny and sexual, you don't want to like go at, at someone. You can't just follow all your impulses. Exactly. You cannot follow your impulse. I'm not saying to follow your impulse. I'm saying to invite the emotion and the impulses to be there. I'm not saying to act on those impulses. Acting on an impulse is the opposite of feeling. Acting means the impulse is controlling you again. Mm -hmm. It's, it means you cannot be with that state. If you're addicted, for example, to masturbation, if you're addicted to uh, fast food or whatever, that's exactly what you're doing already. You are, yeah, you're feeling an impulse, but you're not holding and witnessing and welcoming that impulse. You're most likely just acting on that uncomfortable feeling because you can't, you, have, you feel like you have no other choice. So what I'm saying is not to live out your anger or... Um, believe the world is really sad and kill yourself uh, because of that, but to really feel and be with for the first time with the emotions in your system. Right now, there's hundreds of emotions that you're not welcoming in this very moment. If you become aware enough, if you become still enough, and you start to give yourself permission right now, right here, to feel what is already here, you'll start to notice a shift and your body will introduce to you things that you couldn't welcome before. Now you have a choice. You can say once again, no, I don't want this to be there. Mm -hmm. Push it away. Contract the fascia. Release adrenaline, cortisol, and create inflammation in the body. Project that onto other people uh, and get triggered in another situation. Or what you can do is invite this emotion in. You are welcome here. You are welcome to be with me. If you communicate that way to your nervous system, it's a simple formula. If you just do this in a couple of months, you will see a complete shift because your body inherently knows how to self-organize itself. And I don't mean this as critique, but it doesn't need red light and any kind of tools to do it. It needs the permission to do what it already naturally does, right? And um, of course, a lot of tools can help to support that. And I really want to endorse those tools as well. But to understand that the body already has that mechanism. It's intelligence, you mean? It's intelligence. That's why, you know, when you look at benefits of something like sunlight it's like damn sunlight improves this 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 sleep improves this this is the same thing feeling emotions if we study uh do more studies on how much physiological responses are improved it's going to be fucking ridiculous it's going to be mm. so ridiculous to see those results um of how healthy it is to feel your emotions amazing thanks for sharing that so walk me For people who are listening, and we'll, we're going to put all the show notes with um, a link to his website, a link to the Instagram channel, but most often than not, and we were talking about this offline, that when someone looks at 
and typical emotional release um, workshop, just like some Instagram highlights or reels, we see that there are multiple practitioners addressing multiple people. And in some cases, people are laughing. But in most cases, people are screaming and they're breathing really heavily or they're hitting things or they have this, this what I can describe as fluctuations of really high energy states in their body, which allows their body to move in different directions. Yeah. Um, while they're, sometimes their eyes are closed, sometimes their eyes are open. So can you describe how does a session, like what happens in a session like this? Um, because if people are interested to explore this further, but they're put off by looking at some of these visuals. Yeah. Can you give us the backstory? Because all we see is like 20 seconds, 10 seconds, 30 yeah. seconds, but I'm sure it's more than an hour worth of things that are going on in the session. Absolutely. I mean, it's quite common to people for people, especially in Eastern countries, to be really afraid mm -hmm. of this and say it's exorcism or it's this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but all that really means is that we have been so disconnected. If we see an adult man cry like a baby, we think it's an exorcism. That means we have disconnected ourselves from a natural reaction that occurs when we all of us are born. You can see the toughest man, he was crying when he was born. So coming back to that understanding, that's all that's happening there. There's, there's somatically stored emotions and informations in the tissue, which includes sounds, which includes movements of the body. And these movements, they need to be played out because they haven't been welcome. Exactly the fact that people are disturbed about it is the reason that they are stored because they are not welcome from society. So what comes out of there looks weird because that's the same society that says that shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. So that, of course, that's the root cause of, of why this comes out. And of course, it maybe even should be uncomfortable for that same society to look at because it's what's not allowed. Um, but it's very natural, I assure you. Um, and usually what you see is like a, like a catharsis phase. And, you know, catharsis is a tricky thing. There is a lot of... Uh, ways of catharting which are unhealthy and are just trying to quick fix an emotional process um, it takes a lot of skill and the right understanding to use catharsis in an integrated way this is what many somatic therapists are missing using this emotional release in an integrated way because it requires a repatterning of the nervous system so what you're seeing there in a session what's what's usually happen is that Fundamentally, everything that wasn't allowed is invited in. Once the, the nervous system of a client feels that permission, emotions automatically, automatically move to the surface and start to be processed. And as a process, as the body starts moving, the tears start coming, the anger starts activating, all of that. Um, and when that happens, um, the body is then waiting to integrate those emotions. If it feels safe, if you use the right pressure points if you allow the right touch to create the right safety in that moment then this can actually happen in the most effective way and the tension and emotions and the organs is targeted then in order for it to be sustainable though you, there has to be some kind of repatterning going on that means not only is an emotion released and expressed but the way we relate to that emotions is fundamentally repatterned and this happens through that process, you allow what wasn't allowed before and the nervous system all of a sudden learns that anger is not a threat 
sadness is not a threat. Um, sexuality is not a threat. Joy is not a threat. All these things can now start to be hosted in your nervous system and you survive, you're okay, and actually you're thriving and you're gaining so much energy from it. So the sustainable effects are really coming from that repatterning effect that really allows your nervous system to learn something new and rewire. And you can see, like I said in trauma, that the brain networks, they start to fire in unison again. And that uses less calories, less energy in the body. You can actually use and see that it's called, it uses less calories. Your body has more available bioenergy because you're expressing those emotions and allowing that. Uh, but there's uh, some pitfalls, of course, if you just uh, keep expressing the same emotion over and over and over again, you are actually working with a protective emotions. You can, for example, get anger over and over again, but actually sadness was never allowed. Or you can, people have crying, 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 but they're actually angry and not allowing that anger. This mm -hmm. is very key to understand what actual emotion has to be released. And this is what our practitioners learn in Target, to specifically target the held back emotions that you have not allowed to hold space for that, to repattern your nervous system and create a sustainable change that fundamentally fundamentally impacts all the cells of your body and your nervous system. How do most people feel after a session? I get a lot of um, <laughs> incredible feedback, like this has been the most transformative I've ever done out of ayahuasca, Reiki, uh, hypnosis, and all of that. Um, Or people say this was, you know, the most awakening spiritual experience they had. But I just want to highlight that these are highlights for people. And the session looks very different for people depending on where you are in your evolution. Some people might say this after one session. Some people, they need more sessions than one because there's, they haven't been feeling for so, so long and they just need more work done. So the experience is vastly different. Symptoms can transform and, and change and even vanish for a while. Uh, but I cannot promise any of that because it's so individual of where the person's at and willing to let go. Your symptoms, for example, teach you something about yourself. And if your symptoms just are taken away like that, you might not integrate the lessons that these very intelligent body signals are giving you. So it really depends on that person. But every session is creating a fundamental change in the body of allowing what was never before allowed, of welcoming what was always disowned and rejected before. And that creates a fundamental shift in the nervous system just after one session. Mm -hmm. And how many sessions do you host here in Dubai? So if a person wants to come and experience this, does it happen? Um, is there like a, it, does it follow like a course pattern that you have like five sessions in 10 days or does it happen every month, every year? Yeah, so we offer Mainly knee emotion release is offered in one-on-one -on -one sessions. Mm -hmm. So that means you work with a practitioner one-on-one. -on -one. Um, the most drastic change you will no notice on average after three sessions um, can happen after one session also quite, but to really be sustainable and long-term, at least three sessions. Um, and there you can really see shifts uh, happen. So this, these sessions can be done offline as well as online. We use bodywork techniques, but they can be um, exchanged for other methods of creating safety in the body when we work online. Uh, but it's very, the effectiveness is very similar. And um, yeah, so I highly recommend if this is work that calls you, specifically this work is for people who have tried a lot of things, have done years of psychotherapy, 
and really feel ready to go deep with himself and have the courage to do so. Uh, it's not so much for people who are very um, scared and new to work, healing work. This might be a bit too intense for them, even even though the practitioner will, of course, gauge that intensity. I would really recommend for people who are really willing to face their emotions, their uncomfortable emotions. Mm -hmm. How long does the session last for? Session is around one and a half to two and a half hours. Depending on the person. Yeah. Sometimes you go through a birth process and that just takes a lot longer than you than you initially wanted it to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when you see a person on one-on-one, -on -one, do you have does a person have to fill a certain kind of questionnaire or do you do like a there's an intake, yes. Okay. There's an intake about all your physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna look at all your physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. We're gonna look at your the history. Of, of, of what you've experienced. So basically what a psychotherapist would need to know and what a doctor would need to know, we need to put it together. Mm -hmm. And then from this, we understand what is actually going on because both of these are key pieces. What the doctor is telling us um, about ourselves and what the psychotherapist is telling us about ourselves, they link together. And this is what I've created is, is a new kind of profession that is able to look at both of these professions. Um, but take in both these informations rather than you being seen by two people who only see a puzzle piece of you. There's one person who's looking at both and understands the root cause, the core wound and the primary dysfunctions behind these issues. Where are you focusing most of your energy right now on training people or healing people or both? So I've been uh, doing this work for six years. So I've been f really giving a lot of one-on-one -on -one sessions in my life helping over thousands of people. Um, so right now I'm really focusing on the greatest effect that I have is when I train people because one person that I train treats potentially hundreds of people. And so I have a much greater impact right now focusing on training. Uh, but here in Dubai, I do offer one-on-one -on -one sessions. In other places, I might offer them as well um, because I'm located in Europe and all of that. So in special cases, I really offer those sessions, but currently really focus on training. Mm -hmm. And um, from the videos, I see that this could also be conducted in a group sort of a yes. scenario, correct? Exactly. Okay. So when we do a group release, um, it's very similar. The, um, it's just a little bit less intense for the individual because the whole group, the whole space gives you the invitation to cry, to scream, to shout, And that is an incredible experience because all of a sudden you're in an environment where your environment, instead of saying, like most environments, most jobs, keep working, be quiet, don't cry, keep pushing, don't be angry. This environment is saying, be angry, cry, allow everything that is there. And to witness that together, surrounded by people crying, being angry, uh, processing their emotions is a huge permission slip for the nervous system to finally say, wow, I can be authentic. I can actually be authentic in front of so many different people. And so this is a huge, huge healing experience for many people to witness that and go through that process. I'm going to name a few groups of people and you tell me your view on how this would impact them. And yeah. um, athletes. Athletes have been trained to push their body but mm -hmm. not listen to their body. Mm -hmm. So they have been push to perform, to perform, to get to an outcome, but not to listen to the intelligence of the body. So moving away from this very hyper-masculine 
focused outcome way, we, we start to bring athletes back into a state of beingness instead of doingness, allowing these uncomfortable states that their doingness has pus pushed them away from, the push towards greater outcomes, more performance has pushed them away from, really, really gives them space to now feel and process. And actually, it's super helpful for athletes simply because, you know, when you push outcomes, you're only focusing on what increases the bank, your energy bank account, but what is actually draining your energy bank account. Let's focus on that. Let's focus on the uncomfortable emotions. So hugely helpful to, to work with athletes. What about like corporates, high-level executives, CEOs, It's very similar. This is the same thing, just on a mental level, right? Athletes push on a physical level uh, for an outcome and CEOs, they push for a mental outcome. So it's the same thing. It's pretty much they're avoiding a being state and they really profit off of this. So they are able, you know, if you, you are not able to be a good leader, if you're not able to tap into your heart, if you're not able to cry and feel your emotions and your traumas, you're not able to tap into your heart and be empathetic with people. So you, this makes you less of a people person, less of a person that's able to tap into your surrounding, less able to enjoy the food that you're eating, less able to be embodied and really feel your life and be connected to those around you. And that's not a good leader. A leader is not disconnected from the people. A leader is highly attuned to other people, but still knows the path that he needs to go. What about people who are looking to develop more spiritually? So we have a lot of different like spiritual uh, bypassers uh, that we work with. So one is the Vipassana bypasser, which is the med meditation bypasser. Mm -hmm. So meditation um, has a lot of benefits and I'm, I'm sure meditation mindfulness revolution has already gone through the world and we know what these benefits are, but there's a lot of um, negative downsides of meditation that, we rarely talk about like Ken Wilber, for example, mentions them is that what happens when you train a system that is not allowing anger to be there, um, to let go of every emotion. So the problem is that if you have anger and it's a, it arises in you and you're trained not to identify and to let go of that anger, you actually don't allow the anger to be there. You're actually mm -hmm. repressing the anger. This is a phenomenon. This is why you can see a lot of people like uh, Titnatan, for example, mm -hmm. famous meditator, has a stroke. Strokes are often connected to anger. Who else had a stroke? Uh, Ram Das had a stroke. These are very famous uh, spiritual figures who um, basically come from, from like a Zen or a Vedanta tradition. They meditate extensively. So meditation has downsides and we don't talk about it because meditation can make you very strong in repressing emotions but being okay with that. Disconnecting you with your authentic impulses and just making them okay. This is basically trying to increase your bank account without taking care of what drains your bank account. Mm -hmm. you, you, you learn to facilitate a lot of mental resources to be able to witness and And, and be present with things and to let go of them, not identify with them. But it's missing the component of inviting in the actual emotional affect. You need to invite the actual anger in. It needs to be welcome to exist. And so you cannot go all the way with meditation. It will bring some downsides with it. Mm -hmm. So very important thing. Now the people are the people who are the love and light spiritual people. They pretty much have upper chakra syndrome, you could call it 
where people upper chakra syndrome. Upper chakra never syndrome. heard of that before. Yeah, <laughs> those are the people who are like uh, starting to speak like language and they talk a lot about being from another planet and all of that. Uh-huh. And I'm not criticizing that or 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 wanting to invalidate that experience mm-hmm. at all. But what you see is from a physical perspective is that there are very little embodied in in their emotions. So you have a lot of childhood trauma that activates a lot of the higher chakras, shuts down the lower chakras, makes them hard to go into the body and actually feel those difficult emotions from those traumas. And so it's super important to come back to understanding that these people have cut themselves off from very, very grounded, embodied, uncomfortable emotions that they need to work through and come out of the fantasy realms that they tend to be in. Okay, interesting. Man, David, I can keep going on and on. And I know like, you know, we are um, short for time. But is there anything else you would like to share before I ask you my last question? Yeah, so I would like to share that I've been here in Dubai at COP. um, And COP is this um, sustainability environmental um, summit uh, here. And There's a lot of beautiful solutions happening all around the world. I'm seeing a lot of people inventing new things, creating solutions, creating this, creating that. But what is really missing, what I find, is that to em- implement any of these solutions, we are we are bringing solutions to people who are numb. This is the same thing as talking to your girlfriend or your boyfriend who is angry at you and giving them any solutions. They don't need solutions. Humanity right now doesn't need necessarily more solutions. We have an abundance of solutions. Mm. What we need is similar to your partner that might be angry. They need a kind of witnessing and holding to process their emotions. They don't need a rational thing. And this is what needs to happen collectively. We need to start creating a collective holding on this planet. We need to start training people with the awareness and the consciousness to hold the processes to hold space for the tough emotions that create so much numbness, so much disconnection. The reason why you can't feel all the pain that is around you is because you've numbed yourself from the pain that is inside of you. And so creating space for that pain inside of you will reconnect you with your natural source of empathy, your natural sense of service, of how you want to serve on this planet. So what we need to do is create a collective holding. We need to train people to hold and witness the difficult states, to, to provide this emotional release healthcare to many, many people. And so what I'm trying to do is find investors to build emotional release, urban emotional release centers around the planet. Amazing. And we're going to uh, make sure that via this podcast or some other channel, spread this information out to the world. If you're an investor and you have listened to this, then please, if you find this interesting, get in touch with David if you are anywhere around in the world and you want to kind of, you know, work on the same project, get in touch with David. And David, it's been a fascinating show. I learned a lot from you. Thank you for being here and sharing all of these things. My last question to you is, if you had a time machine and you could go back in time to any age possible, what would that be one or two pieces of advice that you would like to give yourself in this life? (laughs) (laughs) I would just tell myself to trust the path, trust my life. It will lead to the greatest and juiciest and most pleasurable outcomes if I just keep trusting that everything is a go- going according.
according to plan. Mm-hmm. I said this was my last question, but with this, I have another question for you. Do you trust in yourself or do you trust in destiny or fate or the plan? I trust in the immense intelligence, which is the architect of my entire body. Mm-hmm. So the intelligence of the body is a billions of years old evolutionary process that is sitting here, that is creating thoughts, that is creating sounds, that is digesting food, that is able to create babies if you're a woman. This is an intelligence far beyond our comprehension, a technology far beyond our comprehension because it is this technology that created the planet that mm. we know of, the technology that created houses and, and families and technologies and I trust in this unfolding of this collective intelligence through me and with me as that um, I have a lot of faith within the body. Amazing. So this is David Mannings for you, everyone. Um, if you like the show, let us know. If you would like to have him back on the show, let us know. And David, thank you so much for all the great work that you have been doing, all the healing that you've bought in all of these years, all the education that you're doing. Your Instagram channel is amazing. People can learn a lot from it. And also your role as a teacher, empowering more and more individuals to look at, you know, build this whole collective of healing, supporting, holding people together. I appreciate all the work that you've been doing. And uh, this is me, CJ, your host, signing out of the Shift with CJ podcast. If you get something from this show today, make sure that you address or at least face or allow or invite your emotions to come in. Trust me, is going to not just help you, people around you, but also your future generations. Ciao, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.